0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Grab your Bibles. I bet you can guess. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. If uh, anyone has a peppermint or a cough drop that you'd like to offer up to the Lord, I'd be happy to take that for you. Look, hallelujah. Thanks, sir. Just a couple would be good. Appreciate it. <clears throat> All right. Hey, this is a tic-tac, so if you feel led to come to the altar today, you're safe. Okay? Matthew 18, let's look at the first four verses. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us today to understand your word. Help us to understand your kingdom. Lord, give us the wisdom and the the insight to understand it, but Lord, more importantly, the courage and the humility to apply it. Because, Lord, we we want to be a part of your kingdom, and we want to be effective in your kingdom, and we want to bring you great glory. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to respond to your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus describes here is nothing like anything the disciples had ever witnessed or experienced. We like to beat up the disciples, don't we? We read the Bible and we just love to beat them up about how dumb they are and how slow they are and how sinful they are and how they just can't seem to catch on to what Jesus was teaching. But what we fail to realize is that just how revolutionary what Jesus was saying was. They, they just couldn't get it because they'd never seen it. We have it written right here. We can read it in black and white, and we know what happened as a result of Jesus' teaching. They were hearing it for the first time, and it was truly mind-boggling. His was an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, a child is the example. In the kingdom of heaven, humility is the currency. Pride and politics and power plays no role. It gets you nowhere in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, the only way up is down. The only way to gain is to lose. The only way to greatness is through service. The only way to live is to die. In the kingdom of heaven, the king leads the way by washing feet. The king leads the way by sacrificing his own life and serving those that he formed from the dust with his own hand. This is an upside-down kingdom that he's calling them to. And Jesus is calling us to be part of the same kingdom today. And if we're going to succeed in the kingdom of heaven, if we're even going to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said we have to throw out everything we think we know. We have to throw out the world system Throw out the pride. Throw out everything except following Jesus. So we've been in this series called Humility, the the, the key to childlike faith. And we've been looking at the ways pride destroys and disrupts our our relationship, our fellowship with Jesus, and and our efforts at serving his kingdom. And in order to see the destructive properties uh, of our pride, we've gone all the way back to the one who sinned first. First. You're like, yeah, Adam and Eve. Nope, not Adam and Eve. They were the first humans to sin, but the first creation to sin was Lucifer. And so we know him as the devil or Satan. And we've been looking at his life before his fall so that we can make sure we don't follow in the same footsteps uh, that he, that he uh, laid out for us and wind up shipwrecking ourselves. So, we're going to read a couple of the same passages that we read about the life of Lucifer last week, uh, but we're going to take it in a different direction this week, okay? Last week we talked about how Lucifer took the gifts of God and tried to advance himself through self promotion. Today we're going to look at those same gifts, but see their ultimate effect on him. All right, so uh, Isaiah 14 12 through 14. Uh says, how are you, you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven, and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And there ain't nobody like the most high. Ezekiel 28, also in verse 12, says this, Son of man, uh, sing the funeral song for the king of of Tyre and give him this message from the sovereign Lord. He's speaking to the power behind the throne of the king of Tyre, which was Lucifer. He said, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Then he lists all those precious stones And it said that they were placed there, they are given to you. They were beautifully crafted for you, set in the finest gold, given to you on the day you were created. I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. God had blessed Lucifer abundantly. He was wise. He was beautiful. He was strong. He was anointed, he was appointed, he was ordained, he was well-dressed, he was well-respected, and he operated in authority. All of those things were wonderful gifts of God's grace and his love for him. He did not have to do for Lucifer what he did, but he did it because he's a God of grace. He's He's a giver. He could have made him functional and efficient, without all the splendor or the capacity to do anything else. But God, in his infinite wisdom and grace, gave Lucifer the same thing that he extends to us exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine. But here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven works backwards. It only operates when you operate in humility. That's the only way it turns out when you operate in humility. If you operate in pride, the things you think are good actually have the opposite effect. Now, this sounds really strange, but today's message is called, When the Blessing Is the Curse. When the Blessing Is the Curse. Now, let's let's get into it. At some point, Lucifer got his eyes off of his assigned and God-ordained purpose, And started looking at himself. The passage we read said said, uh, Lucifer began to, uh, to look at his beauty. All the things that God had given him. And his heart got filled with pride. His beauty was an extravagant gift of God's grace. He didn't have to make him so beautiful. He chose to do it because God's a giver. But Lucifer got his eyes on the gift and not the giver. He developed this misguided notion that everything ha- that he had had been given for his own pleasure and for his benefit, and he forgot his purpose. You see, pride took hold of his heart and perverted everything in his life and in his mind. Understand where Lucifer had been. He'd been in the throne room of God. He had seen the majesty of And the splendor and the power of the Almighty. But somehow what didn't transfer into the nature of Lucifer is the incredible humility that God displays. And when you miss that, when you don't operate in humility in the kingdom of God, it flips everything on its ear. When you allow pride to enter the equation, the blessing is the curse. God blessed Lucifer, and because of his own heart of pride, the blessing became the curse, and we've all suffered for it. So here's the question that has to be asked today, and it really has to be asked right now. Can God trust you with the blessing? Is there something God has blessed you with that's in danger of becoming a curse in your life? you say, John, that's kind of sobering. That, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. But I'd rather we see it now when it's just mildly uncomfortable than down the track when the train of your life has derailed. So how do you, how do you avoid, John, how do I avoid doing what Lucifer did? How do I avoid the legacy of Lucifer? Well, the first thing real quickly is to recognize the source recognize the source of the blessing. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 says this, "So don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift that comes down from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes, He never casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all his creation, became His pride possession. God chose to create us, chose to bless us. And everything that's good in our life is because of Him. He's the creator of everything. We don't have anything that did not come from Him. Our talents, our abilities, our personalities, the capacity to love and to be loved. Listen, even the breath in your lungs is a gift from God. And once you recognize that everything we have comes from Him, then it's an easy step, or should be an easy step to the next thing, and that is not only recognize Him as the source, but recognize the purpose of the blessing. Not only is everything from Him, but everything is for Him everything in our lives must be used to see his kingdom come and his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that right? Isn't that what Jesus said? So you can say it in all kinds of cool ways. You can say I'm blessed to be a blessing. You can say I'm saved to serve, all kinds of cool things. But the point is everything we have belongs to him and he gets to decide how and where and when we use it. It's called stewardship. We take care of what belongs, not to us, but to God. And we do that according to His principles and His desires and not our own. You say, but John, that's not fair. We should be able to do what we want with what we have. It is fair because what you have is not even yours. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. Paul said, "What, what gives you a right to make such a judgment? He says, what do you have that God hasn't given to you? And if everything you have is from God, why are you boasting as though it were not a gift? Like how you get how you get proud about being pretty? You make yourself pretty. Right? That's what that's what Lucifer did. He said, hmm, I look good. He did look good, but he didn't do it. He was he was born that way with that gift of beauty. How do you get proud about something you had absolutely nothing to do with? That's what Paul's saying about everything in your life. He said, you've got no reason to be proud because you didn't do any of this. It all belongs to God. But look at what he said just a few verses before in verse 2. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. He said, but listen, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's required in stewards to be faithful. What in the world is a steward? It's a manager of somebody else's stuff. And if everything in our lives belongs to God, that means we're stewards. That means everything we have has to be submitted to God's will. We're only managers of what already belongs to Him. And we have to be faithful stewards. Well, how are you faithful in that? Through humility. 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 A steward has to be humble enough to recognize it's not from me, it's not for me, and it's not about me. The first mistake of a manager or a steward is when they start to operate as if it belongs to them. When they start making the decisions, when they start deciding what they would want to do or not do with it, when they forget the role that they play. When you get your eyes on the stuff as if it belongs to you, then pride is on the way in. When you look around at the blessings in your life as if you accomplished it on your own, when you are plotting and planning what to do with what God's given you without ever consulting Him about the kingdom purpose for those things, then you're allowing pride to take root in your life. And what will eventually happen is that those things will command more and more of your time and attention until what was given to you to bring glory to God only brings glory to you. And what was given to you to bring you close to God and to His will only separates you from Him. What was given to you to bless you becomes the curse. It's not God's fault for blessing you. It's our own fault for not receiving the gifts and stewarding the gifts in humility. The only way this upside-down kingdom operates. Let me show you 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, uh, verse 7. Now, O Lord, this is the prayer of Solomon. Now, Lord, uh, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I'm like a little child. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like a little child. Does that sound familiar? Who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. Give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who is who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon was so humbled by the new position that God had placed him in as king of Israel, that he asked for a wise and discerning heart to be able to lead well. He saw himself as a child, which was exactly where he needed to be in order to function in God's kingdom. God blessed that humility uh, with gifts that he did not, uh, but he could have asked for. He could have asked for wealth, could have asked for fame, could have asked for power, could have asked for a whole lot of things. He asked for wisdom. Solomon would never have to worry about resources for the, his, entire, um, his entire reign because uh, he was blessed by God with all these things that he didn't even ask for, blessed because of his humility. But let me show you what God had said hundreds of years before uh, this warning came through Moses. In Deuteronomy 17, right before they entered the promised land, this is several hundred years before, the, before they asked for a king but uh, Moses had already said, listen, y'all, I know y'all, we're gonna get, you're going to get in the promised land, and you're going to look around, and you're going to want a king just like everybody else, and I'm telling you, don't get a king. But I also know your stubborn heart, and you're going to demand a king. So he said, when you do get a king that I'm telling you you don't need, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses because the Lord has already told you never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they'll turn his heart away from the Lord, and he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. This was three or four hundred years before Solomon uh, became king. Did you hear that warning? So what did Solomon do, who'd been blessed with wisdom and wealth and fame? He did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. Exactly the opposite. He imported, you can go to 2 Kings, you can find out the list of things in his kingdom. It was mind-boggling. He imported thousands of Egyptian horses. He accumulated hundreds, thousands of tons of gold. He, even had the cups that he drank out of. Uh, like you go to Solomon's cabinets in the kitchen, everything's gold. Everything's gold. He had, they said they didn't even use silver. It was just worthless in his kingdom. Everything was gold. And he had 700 wives, 300 concubines in his harem. Why in the world did the wisest, most... No, I'm not going there, but y'all go on. Why did the wisest, most blessed man in the history of the world do exactly what God told him not to do with the gifts that God had given him? Pride. It's pride. The gifts of God that were given to him to bless his life, given to him because of his humility, had now become a curse to him and to his family because of his pride. He forgot his source. He forgot his purpose. And the blessing became the curse because he didn't steward what God had given him in humility. It is required of stewards that they're found faithful. That means they have to humble themselves before the Lord and realize that the resources are tools for the kingdom. Now please listen to this. It takes the character of Christ to build the depth of humility that you need to bear the burden of the blessing. It takes the character of Christ to build into you the depth that you're going to need to bear the burden of the blessing. Let me say it this way: the weight of the blessing will crush a person who has no depth of character. The weight of the burden, or the weight of the blessing, will crush a person who has no depth of character. There has to be integrity in the blessing. There has to be wisdom in the stewardship of the blessing. There has to be understanding of the purpose of the blessing. Because God can't bless those he can't trust. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Are you faithful in what God has blessed you with? Let me show you Proverbs 27, 21. See this in in Scripture. Proverbs 27, 21. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold but a person is tested by being praised. You know who wrote this? Solomon. Solomon. He said, you think you're tested by the burdens? Wait till you get tested by the blessing. You think it's hard to bear up under criticism? Wait until everybody's shouting your name. Success destroys way more people than failure does. Solomon wrote countless proverbs about the power of pride to ruin a person's life. (laughs) It serves as clear indication that it's way easier to talk about it. It's way easier to talk about humility than it is to actually be humble. Easier to understand it than it is to apply it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. To show us the ways that we're allowing pride to creep in. To reveal the hidden motives and the secret sins. You say, John, it seems like God's setting us up for failure when he he blesses us. How do we ever get ourselves to a point that we can bear the burden of the blessing? How how do we avoid the pitfalls of praise and the traps of triumphs in our lives? Well, I have an answer for you. I don't think you're going to like it. Two words. Crushing. Crucible. Crushing. Crucible. The crushing of the clay on the potter's wheel. And the fire of the crucible. Let me show it to you, Proverbs 13. <clears throat> Proverbs 13. Uh, 17, sorry. 17-3. I'm having a dyslexic moment right now. Thank you. 17-3. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart with the same fire. Um, Zechariah 13 and 9. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I'll refine them like fire, excuse me, refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They'll call upon my name and I'll answer them and I'll say, these are my people. And they'll say, the Lord is our God. The fiery trials of life will reveal what you're really made of. The impurities rise to the top. When you're going through something, it gets real easy to see what's really on the inside of a person. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 4. The Lord gave, Jeremiah, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. and He said, go down to the potter's shop and I'll speak to you there. So I did as he told me and I found the potter working at the wheel, but the jar he was making didn't turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. The potter crushes the clay to remove the air bubbles and the defects in order to bring about his will. The crushing and the crucible is the key to bearing the burden of the blessing. When the fire reveals the impurities in your life, when the potter reveals the hidden dangers in your life, you have a choice to make. When life crushes you, or when life gets too hot to handle, if you retain your pride, it makes you bitter. Because everything that you everything you go through in life, you have a choice to make, and you've heard this: it makes you bitter, makes you better. But, but understand that bitterness is a manifestation of pride. How? How many times have you heard a person say this? I, I, how many times have I said this in my life? I don't deserve this. Amen. I shouldn't have to go through this. After all I've done for God, I sh- and just fill in the blanks from there. Right? What you mean you shouldn't have to go through that? What makes you different than every other human being? it's pride. But listen to me, if you'll surrender your pride and walk in humility, it'll bring an anointing and a blessing and a peace like you can't even imagine. Now listen, I'm not saying you swing all the way to the other ditch. Isn't that what we always do? We can't have, we get in, the, in one ditch, then we go all, we overcorrect, go all the way to the other side of the road and get in the other ditch and just say, Yeah, I'm sure I deserve that. I'm just worthless and sorry. I've been a sinner all my life. God's given me what I deserve. Stop that. Because that's pride too. Like somehow you're the worst thing. Come on. Not everything is about you, the good stuff. Or the bad stuff. Stop it. The humble middle ground is accepting that God always has a plan. That he's, even if you don't know what it is, that he's going to use it to bring glory to himself and ultimately use it for your good. That's Romans 8, It's the It's the, the words of the three Hebrew boys before they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They said either God's about to do something really cool or we're about to die and go see him. Either way, we want him to get the glory because that's what our life is about. I've heard people say, oh, I want to be gifted like that. Man, if I just had that kind of talent, if I was just anointed like that, oh, I just want to be blessed like that person's been blessed. The question is, are you willing to be crushed the way that person's been crushed so you can bear the burden of the blessing with humility? Are you ready to be tried in the crucible so that that blessing doesn't become a curse in your life? T.D. Jakes says it this way, you don't know the cost of that person's anointing. Don't covet what you can't pay for. I've heard... John Maxwell, all my life as I've been studying leadership for the last twenty five years or so, I've heard him say that that there's a lid, right? There's a lid on your leadership that you just until you raise your lid, you can't. You're not going to get beyond, beyond that. You're not going to be a ten if your lid's at three, right? You got to raise the lid. I, I, I in the last few months, I, I just I believe that what raises the lid on your leadership capacity on your giftings, on your anointing, on on whatever it is in your life that you're trying to do for others, what raises the lid in your life is your capacity to endure pain. It's your pain threshold. If you want a life of ease, then just enjoy it the way it is. You're not going to grow. You don't grow through ease and pleasure. You grow through pain. And if you're not willing to face some pain, you're never going to get where you think you want to go, because where you think you want to go is always way more expensive than you think it is. The most spiritually powerful and impactful people that I know are also the most humble. And the most powerful and impactful people that I know are the the ones who at one time or the other were crushed to the point that they weren't sure they were going to make it. And that experience not only brought out a, 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 a fresh and pure anointing, but it annihilated the pride in their lives. And that was, that was the key. That was the purpose for the pain. I'm not suggesting that we all go running out seeking experiences that will crush you or try you. I'm not, don't go cast yourself into the flame. Like, don't go jumping under something that's about to fall. Just, I'm just saying, everybody experiences these things anyway. Why not allow the purpose of God to come out of it? He allows those things in your life to crush and refine And purify us so He can bring us closer to Him. Our sin separates us from Him. So stop pushing back against the very thing that He's trying to use to bring you to Him. Cave to the crushing. Stop pushing back. Confess in the crucible. Allow God to teach you humility and remove your pride. When your character has been tested, when you've been hum- when you've humbled yourself before the Lord and confessed your desperate need for him, then he can trust you with the blessing. He can trust you as a steward. He can trust you with the anointing, with the gifting, with the effectiveness that you always wanted to have, but he has to see that your heart is really for him. Really about glorifying him and not yourself. He said it over and over again in the scriptures that we've read in this series, and we'll see even more. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you at the right time. Think about it. Why would God elevate you to a position of influence if you're just going to turn around and come crashing down? That's what's happening left and right in our celebrity Christian culture. People use the tools of self-promotion, we talked about it last week, to elevate themselves to a status and level of influence that their character can't contain, can't sustain. God didn't put them there, they put themselves there. And then when they inevitably fall, now now they're falling in public. Now they're taking thousands of people with them. Listen, don't make gods out of giftedness. The gift can operate outside the character for a little while. You can operate the gifts of your life in pride, or you can do it in humility. But Jesus said only one of those ways gets you an eternal reward. Listen, in a kingdom, Corey, y'all come on and play something. In a kingdom that's ruled by King Jesus, everything's upside down. Humility is the currency of this kingdom, not pride. That means if you want the blessing of God, if you want the blessing of God, you only find it when you're not looking for it. I'm just going to let that lay there for a second. You know all the books about getting the blessing of God? Throw them away. They're poisoning your mind. It's not not seven steps to the blessing of God. It's not how you earn the favor of God. If you have to earn it, it ain't favor, it's a paycheck. The only thing he talked about a paycheck for was the wages of sin is death. If you're looking for the blessing of God, you're not going to find it. Because you're searching out of pride and coveting what is not yours. If you want the blessing of God, you only find it when you're not looking for it. He said, seek first his kingdom. Right? And his righteousness. The the character, the nature of Christ. And then he will add those other things. Listen to this. If you seek his hand without seeking his heart, you'll find neither. If you seek his hand Without seeking his heart first, you won't find either of those things. I've seen so many people who have been so blessed by God, but they allow the blessing to deceive them into pride. You pray your way to the top, and then you get to the top and turn around and say, look what I've done. What they obtained through humility and through God's favor, they allowed to distract them from their relationship with Him. I've seen people pray and seek God for gifting and anointing and a platform for ministry. And when God gave it to them, the blessing caused them to get puffed up in pride and arrogance. And the stench of their pride in their lives repelled more people from God than their gift drew to God. It became a curse. I've seen people who prayed and sought God over material blessings who didn't have two nickels to rub together and they prayed and they worked and they sought God and they humbled themselves. But, but God, when He blessed them, now they're either so busy enjoying the trappings of their success or so busy working to get more and more because now they're addicted to it or, or they, they no longer have time for church or for serving the people that God's placed around them. Or for even maintaining their own relationship with Him. I've seen people who have prayed and sought God for a mate or maybe for kids, and now God's blessed them with with a, a beautiful family, and they fill every waking moment with activity that focuses on enjoying that family without making room to worship God and serve the one who gave it to them in the first place. Don't make gods out of the gifts. Are there blessings in your life that have become a curse? Are you on Solomon's Road? Started as a child, but grew up fast in your mind. Is it the legacy of Lucifer in your life? Or will you allow the crushing and the crucible to do its work? Listen, I always feel like I bring the hammers, bring the bad news. I'm trying to point out what's going to separate you from what God has for your life. And if I said, do you want what God, do you want God's best for your life? Everybody go, yay. (laughs) The way to get there is through humility. And that means we got to get the pride out. And pride is so sneaky because it shows up in ways that we just don't see it. That's why it's called deception. Y'all stand with me, please. Jesus died to give us life and give it to us abundantly, right? He, he died to bring us into right relationship with the Father. He died to make to give us an intimate relationship with Him. Again, that comes through humility. So stop worrying about anything else. Stop worrying about all the external stuff and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What God wants you to have outside of that, He'll give you. See everything in your life as a resource for the kingdom of God, for the glory of the king. We're going to pray. They're going to sing a song. You you want to pray about this word? You want to pray about uh, anything that's going on in your life? This altar is open. If he's drawing you here, this is what I know about him. If God's drawing you to this altar, he's going to meet you in this altar. So come on and, and, uh, and do what God tells you to do. We'll be dismissed together in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, that you would uh, draw people to this altar that you want to provide an answer for, that you want to provide comfort for, that you want to just wrap your arms around them, God. I just pray that you draw them, that you'd move in every situation of their lives, God, as they try to come and seek your face. Lord, as they try to come and humble themselves before you and find out what it, what your purpose is, find out what your plan is, God, I pray that you just uh, that you draw Those that that you that don't necessarily sense the draw to the altar, wherever we are, whoever we are, as we go about our our day and our week, I pray, God, that this word would just continue to to echo in our hands, in our heads, not because it came from me, but because it comes from your word, and I pray that you would through your Holy Spirit that you would show us the areas of our lives in which we're operating in pride still and give us the strength and the courage, Lord, to humble ourselves before you because we know the
0: only way up is down. In Jesus' name.